0: So, talking about awakening, I'm just going to say um, some of you took a class uh, we did early in the year when we were doing the sermon series on uh, awakening. And uh, I sent a note out to them, or it'll be going out to them. I don't know if Patty's already got it going out yet or not, but uh, New Room Conference is up. Uh, they are planning to meet in person in the fall. Uh, so, if you want to be part of that, uh, you can go just if you'll go to New Room Conference 2021 on your computer, you can go there. Registration's open. There's going to be a limited number of seats. and. Uh, should things improve, they'll open up some more seats, but come, I think it's May 1st, there's a price jump uh, for registration, so uh, you might want to go take a look at that if, uh, if your heart is longing to be awakened. So we're on this land between, we're talking about the, the journey of Israel from uh, Egypt to the promised land and, and the events that occur within that, and the subject this week is discipline, uh, which, <laughs> okay, let's be honest, how many of you went, woohoo, discipline? Or did you kind of go, oh, jeez. So, yeah, years, uh, when I was in Corpus years ago, and um, we were there from 85 to 91, and we lived about two blocks off Ocean Drive, which is the, the boulevard that runs right along the Bayfront. My my ritual was to go and ride Ocean Drive. And I'd get on my bike and head out and go down one end and back all the way up to the other end and back to my house. And, and you know, in the mornings early, it's really still and pretty. In the evenings, it's windy and cooler it's still really pretty, and, and, and I would just enjoy that ride. Know it was very kind of therapeutic for me and relaxing uh, at the same time I was getting my, my exercise, but I would notice when I was out riding, I'd be going along just enjoying you know, the, the ocean and the trees and the breeze and everything, and, and there'd be these people out there running, and I'd look at them, and I thought, you know, they always look like they're suffering. I don't know. I mean, you know, they always have this look, and, and I'd think, God, why, why would you choose to run when you could get on a bike and ride? I mean, this, you, you look like you're just suffering through it. Why do you put yourself through this? So I'm talking to a friend of mine. And you need to know, I, I ran track when I was in high school for a while. And uh, later on, I messed up one of my knees. So I don't run now, I cycle. But, but when I was doing this, I'm talking to a friend of mine, and I'm going, why... why why would anyone want to get out there? And he's going, well, you know, it's great for you. It's great physical conditioning. You feel so much better. It gives you a lot of energy. You get this endorphin rush, you know, that makes you feel really good and all that. And I said, yeah, but I'm I'm riding out there, you know, getting almost the same effect. And, and, you know, I'm looking at these people and they look like they're just in agony, like they're just suffering through it. I said, why would you want to do that? And he says, because it's worth it to do it. Oh, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just don't see that. And, and, I I don't know. I don't know if I could ever do that. And and he says, I'll tell you what's interesting to me. And he's talking to me and he's saying, what I've noticed is you're talking about all those people out there running. How many of them do you actually see? I thought, well, I don't know, 15, 20, 25, maybe, you know, at a time, you know, in a a morning. And he said, yeah. He says, how many people live in Corpus? I said, about 250,000. He said, so there's like 25 of them that are out there running, right? He said, so maybe running is not that many great because, you know, not that many people really are out there doing it, are there? And I thought, ooh, that's a telling comment, isn't it? I mean, here's something that most of us know is good for us to, in some way, you know, either to run, ride bike, get some kind of aerobic exercise. We know that's good for us. We know we feel better. We know it's healthy. We know we get this rush, you know, that makes us feel good. gives us energy for the day. And and yet only this small fraction does it. What does that say about us? Uh, as a culture, it says that, you know, we really don't want to suffer in order to get that gain. We're not really disciplined to do that, right? I mean, we know if we eat well, we feel better, right? We feel better. We don't gain weight. We have more energy. And yet, we're, we're the most overweight country on the face of the earth, right? Right? I mean, we know that, that if we exercise and do those kinds of things, we're physically healthier, and yet, and yet our percentage of people who actually engage in that is smaller than any other developed country on the face of the earth. We know that, that if we restrain ourselves from, you know, over-consuming alcohol, uh, you, you know, our lives are better, and yet we have one of the highest percentages of alcoholics on the face of the earth. We know that if we spend time and we invest ourselves in our children and do things with our kids and, and model things that are healthy before them, it helps them to grow up and live into that, and yet what we tend to do a lot of times is leave our kids on our own or pay someone else to take care of them while we're doing other things that we want to do, our hobbies, uh, our leisure time events, the things that we enjoy, and, and then we wonder why our kids don't feel close to us. We know that exercising discipline in our personal habits is good and and yet, you know, we don't want to control our sexual appetites and we have this high rate of pornography addiction. You know, discipline sounds good. It all sounds good. We're not really very good at self-discipline, are we? Sometimes we need someone to help us in that process. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess to you this is not a topic we like. So we ask you to come and open us up to what you would say to us so that we can hear what it is you would share with us this morning. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So. Jeff Mannion is going to talk about discipline in this section of, of the book uh, as the people of Israel are coming through. Remember, the people of Israel have been in Egypt for generations as, as slaves where discipline was imposed upon them by the Egyptians. And now they're brought out into the desert and they're having to learn what it means to be a people who stand on their own. And so this, this period of time in the desert is a training period for them. And, and I know we sometimes think of that and we say, well, you know, we, we've got, you know, of course, you know, we're, we're, we you know, govern ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And, but, but yet we still need some help with that to know and to be trained in the right way. Uh, we're told in Scripture and... In, uh, Second Timothy, Paul tells us that all scriptures God breathes. God breathes life into it. It's inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I want you to hear that that bunch of phrases: you know, for teaching righteousness, rebuking and correcting, and, and training. It's it's to guide us. It's to discipline us in the living of faithful life. Because on our own, we don't always discern that well. And on our own, we don't like to self-discipline ourselves well. So we need that outside authority of God speaking into our lives to guide us into that. And one of the places we get in trouble is when we kind of you know, begin to say, well, I don't like that part of the Bible, so I'm just going to ignore it. Uh, because frequently, that's the very part we need to be listening to the most. That's where God is speaking most directly to us. As we read on through Scripture, you, know, you, you run into these different passages about being disciplined uh, in faith. In Hebrews, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. and peace for those who have been trained for it. It's a wonderful kind of statement. That this is of uh, what discipline is about. Not 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 just you know, for your whim, but to train us up in righteousness, to bring us peace. And even if it seems really harsh and painful at the time, uh, there's, a, there's a better purpose for it out ahead of us, that God is training us for things. And, and you hear kind of a, a side reference to that. We get into the section on 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the suffering of the faithful who have gone before us. And he says, These things happen to them as examples and were written down in Scripture as warnings for us on whom the culmination of ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. So that you can endure it. So he's telling us, you know, God has given you these examples in Scripture so that you can know how to live. And don't make the excuse saying that no one ever faced this temptation before because you're not going to face anything that someone else hasn't run into before. As I keep saying, you know, technology progresses quite a bit, but human nature is still the same. And so we face the same temptations our ancestors has. And Scripture records that and lets us know that so that we can learn from their examples. And and God is with us in that. God's not going to let us be tempted beyond what's possible, and He's going to provide a way for us to endure all that. Jeff's going to write in his book, and he says that the Scriptures tell us God will be faithful. He will provide what we need each day. Through the confusion, the pain, the dying dreams, our Father in Heaven desires to guide us at every turn. You know, in the midst of it, it may be really difficult, and it may be really painful, and it may be really confusing, and, and at times it's really hard to let go of those dreams. And, and and I have to tell you that one of the things I've learned, especially in the last decade or two, is that that as I age, I'm learning that the opportunity for dreams to become reality in my life is closing down. You know, as you move through the timeline, your options become more limited. Partly because you're, you're aging and some things are no longer possible, but because of choices you've made. And part of the, the art of aging well is learning to let go of some of those dreams and to do that in confidence and in trust that where God has closed those doors, uh, the doors he has you walking through are, are the right ones and the places where you will be most fulfilled. It's a discipline of, of having your life limited to certain functions. Now, in the book, uh, he's going to refer to a number of passages from Proverbs. I'm just going to throw these up here because you've all heard these quoted in one way, form, or shape. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, you've all heard these quoted or uh, mutilated in different ways, right? Uh, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of stuff and all that. So I'll, I'll, I want to stop as we're going through this and just kind of spend a little moment here and, and get some clarity. The word here used for rod, we always think of that as, you know, and, I, and I'm going to use the colloquialism here, you know, beating them with a stick, you know, uh, if you're from the South. Uh, the word rod can mean rod, it can mean staff. It refers to like when Moses has his staff and he's leading them out of the promised land, the, the word there is rod. It's, it's the rod. Uh, so it can be a staff, it can be a rod, it can be a shepherd's crook. Uh, it, it's kind of a generic kind of language that they're using here. It's not always an instrument of punishment or always punitive. Sometimes it's an instrument of instruction or guiding. We lose that in our culture because I think We have used these passages too often to justify our actual lack of discipline as parents. But you notice if you read through them, it's always about how do we do what is best for this child? How do we we guide them in a way that brings them to life and increases their their well-being? Mania is going to say, Discipline is the activity of inflicting pain for redemptive purposes. And it is something for which God is to be admired, appreciated, and esteemed. And I went and I looked at Merriam-Webster where discipline is defined as a verb, you know, to train by instruction in a certain code of behavior or set of skills. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to kind of be careful with this because too often this has been used as a justification actually for, for being borderline abusive, if not outright abusive. Uh, and that's really not the intent of this passage of Scripture. The intent is to, to remind parents, you have, a, you have a job to shepherd these children. And, and refusing to do that does not bring them life. It just leaves them out in the wilderness. You have a job to shepherd them and to guide them. When Cindy and I were uh, expecting our first child many years ago... Um, We went to a thing that was a parenting class, which used to be called systematic training for effective parenting. I believe the Christian version of that that we use here sometimes is called love and logic. Uh, But there were things in that that were, were said to us that were important. And one of them was the distinction between worrying about being a good parent or being a responsible parent. And, you know, being the good parent means you're worried about how what your child does or how they look, how that reflects on you. I want to be seen as a good parent, so I want my child to behave right and look right and so forth. That's not about the kid. That's about me. Being a responsible parent is to think about how do I discipline this child and lead this child in a way so that they grow up to be as full and and as healthy and, and as vibrant as possible. So, you know, sometimes that means things like, yeah, they go to school looking like that. You know, they walk out the door and you're going, oh, gee, I wish you would wear something else. But, you know, you don't have to worry about too much because once they get to a certain age, the other kids let them know. You know, I mean, especially, you know, middle school can be pretty brutal for such things. Uh, but, but you need to, to guide them and help them learn to be responsible. It's not about how it reflects on you. It's about what is right for them. The other thing that they, they taught us that was uh, important and it stuck in our brains was, you know, when you're exercising discipline, if you're really angry at the moment, you probably need to step back from that. Take a breath. Step back. And that struck me because in the household I grew up in, that did not always happen. And when discipline is administered in anger, all the child perceives is the anger. And you tend to sometimes do things that you regret. And so we had to to work on that, especially if you find yourself using words like always or never. You're never going to go to the pool again. Well, yeah, you I mean, you know really, and if you do that often enough, your child comes to dismiss what you say, so we had to work at that. We were not always successful, as my daughter would tell you, uh, but but we had to work at that, you know, kind of you know, okay, I need to step back, I need to wait a while before I engage this, so that I engage it in a responsible kind of way. And that's one of the things we had to, to to learn and and had to work on, especially since Uh, I grew up in a house where my my dad was not the disciplinary, my mother was, and and my father was very seldom angry. Uh, He was a very even keeled person. Uh, Unfortunately, I inherited more of my mother's temperament, which tends to be a little more volatile, and I had to learn that, you know, there were times I just had to say, okay, we're going to talk about this later. Now, now I think sometimes that was difficult for my kids because they thought, uh oh, I've got to, you know, they sit around all day and worry about what was going to happen. But, you know, really what I was doing was, I know I needed to step back. I needed to disengage that situation until my brain cleared and I could be more clear. Because the purpose of discipline is not to inflict pain, and it's not to be vengeful, and it's not to vent your anger. It's to help the child mature and to grow into all they can be. And so we as parents have that. And if we as parents have that, then, then how much more is God doing the same thing with us? In other words, God does not inflict pain on us for the purpose of inflicting pain. But sometimes learning things can be painful. Sometimes running on Ocean Drive can be painful. Uh, my stepfather passed on to me uh, something that they taught him in the Marine Corps, which is uh, the same, which he would use, and he would say, You know, pain is weakness leaving the body. And I would say, Well,. Sometimes, Jim, but sometimes pain is a sign that you, you, know, you just hurt yourself. You overdid it. So, so you, know, you have to be careful with these kind of things and recognize that if you don't keep your mind on the main, and your focus on the main purpose, it's very easy for us to take these things and pervert them. So so in the Scriptures, what we see is God disciplining the people of Israel. He's he's training them up. He's working with them. And sometimes that's challenging. In in the piece where uh, they are concerned about, uh, you know, they've only got manna. They don't have any bread to eat. And they complain and they complain and they complain. God says back to them, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Because the Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Does that sound like familiar to any of you? Did any of you have that kind? This was my grandmother's thing. You know, you put it on the plate and you put it in front of the kid and and that's your dinner and that's what you're going to eat. And if you didn't want it, that was fine. But don't ask for something else, you know. But, but I mean, that's, I keep hearing her voice echoing back there. Uh, you're going to have meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10, or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? I mean, as the people lifted up their complaint, they phrased it. Why did we leave Egypt? We had all that kind of good stuff. You know, to do that, why did God leave, bring us out here and abandon us to die in the desert? The issue was not the meat. The issue was their refusal to acknowledge the presence of God with them and leading them. I want to remind you, as they moved through this desert, God was with them. The tent of meeting traveled with them. God's presence was always there. It was always visible to them. And yet in spite of that, what they said is, why is God doing this? Why did God bring us out here? Why did God leave us out here to die? As if God had abandoned them. And the lesson they needed to learn was that God was always with them. God was always present with them. God was always hearing them. God was always with them, to provide for them and to guide them as they move through this desert. God didn't do this just to be mean or, or punitive, but rather because God was trying to teach them to rely on the presence of God, to come and to trust the presence of God. And, and, and if you'll remember in, the, in this story, there's going to come a time a few years later Uh, not even that long, just a few months later, where they're going to encounter the promised land and they're going to send people across to scout it out. And some of them are going to come back and say, oh, no, we can't do this. They'll they'll slaughter us if we go across there. Even though God has said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to lead you in this, they refuse to trust God's leading. And so they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Is it possible that God was trying to teach them something at this point that would serve them when they came to the, Holy, the promised land. You're going back to 1 Corinthians when Paul says, you know, God's giving you this example. You know, sometimes God teaches us lessons not just for what we learn, but for what people around us learn. Now, there's a joke that goes uh, that's on one of the despair.com posters, that says, you know, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. We've all known those people, right? These are the ones that will have something on their headstone like, uh, here, hold my beer. Uh, so, you know, I mean, but, but what the Scripture is saying is, you know, sometimes God is, is trying to give you an example uh, in your living about how to trust in God. What would have happened if they would have learned from this event that God was with them, that they could trust God, and that they could Always count on God's leading. They might not have wandered in the desert for 40 years, but they didn't learn. And God knew they weren't ready to move into the promised land. So He brought them back out into the wilderness to continue teaching them until there were raised up in the midst of them enough leaders who trusted God absolutely. With their whole lives, and we're willing to lead them into the promised land. I mean, the, the discipline that God inflicts upon us is, is not done just to be vengeful, it's not done for the purpose of, of hurting us, but rather it, it's to train us up into all the fullness of who God has created us to be. And at the moment, it can be really uncomfortable and it can be really difficult. And we can even wonder sometimes at the moment, God, why, why are you putting me through this? And yet you find there are purposes always on the other side of that that come out of it. What does it mean to move through these experiences and then have the ability to relate to someone else? What does it mean to be able to empathize with someone? What does it mean to be able to bring healing to someone else because of what you've been through? God trains us up not only for our benefit, but for those around us. You know, 2,000 years ago, a young man kneels in a garden uh, just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, and he prays. You know, Father, you know, if it's possible, please take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in his discipline... And in his suffering, we gain the gift of life and the gift of freedom. And God calls us to live in the same kind of faithfulness that others may be blessed through us. Let us pray. Father, like unruly children... We resist your leading and your guidance. We complain about the discipline that we have to move through and and sometimes suffer through. And yet you continue to look upon us with love and with grace and with mercy. You continue to train us up that we might live into all the fullness of who you created us to be, that we might live with vibrant, holy love. So, Father, we give you thanks, even in those times when it is hard for us. We give you thanks that you love us enough, that you love us enough to discipline us to an ever more faithful life. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.